Hey, this is Bill Meese from Ewan Music, and this is my chapter of As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? Man, being realistic. As the story grows. So stoked that I got to talk to Bill Meese. Took some time out of his very busy schedule. Working in E1, still in the music industry. Father of two. Workbench podcaster with Seth W. He's a busy guy. I'm glad he took some time out to talk to me. It was really a pleasure talking to him. He uh, he kind of started asking me questions. Kind of nice. I'm the one asking all the questions all the time. It was kind of nice to sit back and have somebody ask me a few questions. But he had some interest in talking about the Christian music industry and the whole you know, awkwardness of that uh, late 90s, mid-2000s thing. It's pretty nice talking to him. Circle back and play a bunch of uh, uh, A Love for Enemies, all off the album Harvest on this chapter. Really enjoy this stuff. Not a huge metalcore fan, but something about these guys, I, I, I can dig it. I can get into it. So I threw some of their stuff on here for you. Hey, let's talk Patreon for a second. You all know how this works. I'd like to welcome Brad Barber as a Patreon helper-outer. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate the dollar. I'll take a dollar. You join uh, Jeremiah Nelson, John Petcow, Ben Pike, Mr. Jason Snarkthrone, and Brett Duncan, among the elite six that have actually decided to step forward, open up your wallet to help a brother out. That's cool, man. Appreciate it a lot. Speaking of money, Simplecast has opened up the ability to put a donation button on the As the Story Grows page. So now through the magic of the Stripe app, sign on for that, you can go uh, to the page on asthestorygrows.com and click right on the dollar sign if anybody wants to drop a donation. Enough about money. Thanks again, Brett. Let's bring on some Bill. Hey, welcome back to the next chapter of As the Story Grows. My name is Trav, and we get to talk to Bill Meese this late afternoon, early evening. Bill, what's going on in Long Island? What's going on, dude? It's a lot of snow. A lot of snow. A lot of snow. You're getting snow already? Yeah, this is the third snowfall of the season, and uh, I'm sick of shoveling it. Yeah, you said um, you said you got a little bit of a little bit of time tonight because you were sent home early for the weather, and I was thinking like, really? Because yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like the eastern part of Long Island gets pounded harder than the western part, uh, along with the city. So. The roads just get deteriorate pretty quickly, and yeah. Hmm. So, but anyway, it actually enabled me to have a little more. 
it, it enabled me to uh, work through the all the the technical glitches on my end. So, <laughs> silver lining, silver lining. That's right. Add a boy. Always find the silver lining. Uh, yeah. But hey, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm a listener. I'm not going to say avid, but I have listened to a few episodes, and I enjoy your format and. Stoked to be here. I thank you, and I am avid. I've listened to every single workbench because uh, I'm afraid I'll hurt Seth's feelings if I say that I ever skipped any. You win. You win the. You win that one. And uh, yeah, Seth, Seth is a Seth is a sensitive man. You know how sensitive he can get. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I feel like I've talked about Seth. I think every episode for the past three people that I've spoken to. He just keeps coming up. Yeah, he's the he's the common denominator. He ties he ties everything ties the room together. He ties the he really does tie that room together. <laughs> <laughs> Seth the the rug workizer. <laughs> Seth Carpet W. Yeah. It's the rug, man. So when I sent you when I sent you an email about what we were going to talk about, there's some uh there's some interesting topics on here. Um I find it I find it fascinating that when when Seth told me, yeah, Bill Meese, he used to be in that band, A Love for Enemies. And I was like, get out of here, really? And then I talked to you about A Love for Enemies, and I have to remind you that you were even in that band, because it was... Yeah, and, and you were in a band as well, right? I was. Yeah, I was in, um, later known as Alathian, but I was in Crutch. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm well aware of both bands. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember those guys. It was right around the same... I joined in 99 and I quit in 03, and it was right around the same time that A Love for Enemies was around. Is it, is it possible that we played together? I'm sure we did. If, if nothing else, maybe at Purple Door Festival or something. Never played Purple Door. Um, Cornerstone, maybe? Played Cornerstone 2000, 2001. Yeah. No, yeah, I was, no, no. 90, yeah, 2000, 2001. I was one of those kids that did the generator stages. We did um, generator stage in two thousand. Yeah, well, there were, there yeah. yeah, there were a couple. Yeah, um, but I remember I had a, I had X Toll play my generator stage once. I had Me Without You play my generator stage once, like back when. Wow. You know they weren't even. I mean, they were awesome back then, but they weren't signed and big or anything. But it's cool. Yeah, that was fun. Logistically stupid, uh, bringing all that wood uh, <laughs> a third of the way across the country, and then wondering why we were spending hundreds of dollars in gas to get there because it's like we're towing 900 pounds of wood you're towing a stage sure uh but yeah but yeah we odds are we probably played together my years in the band was 99 through the end of 05 Mm -hmm. what what recordings did you wind up being on um all of them except for the most recent one that came out in 07 Check this out. Look at this hardcore Long Island kid. How about that? Are you looking at one of the old band photos? No. No, I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking about it the other day. I've actually been out of the band longer than I was in the band. <laughs> yeah. By double, like twice as long. By quite a bit, yep. Yeah. It's weird. You start measuring stuff like that. I'm, 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 I'm going through this weird phase where I'm obsessed with how, what the oldest players are in major league baseball and i have yet to be older than every person in baseball 
but I am rapidly, that number is getting smaller every year, is rapidly approaching. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. It's just a matter of time, man. Sad. So sad. But I was thinking, I about to say something I forgot about, about, about the band stuff. Oh, right. I was thinking just the drive. I was talking with the, my old bass player about this at some point, about the drive, <laughs> about the, the, the passion. Like, like, nothing else mattered. And it's it's kind of crazy. I don't know if we were just blind or, or just really focused. I mm-hmm. guess there's a fine line between the two. Um, I thought you but, meant the drive to Cornerstone. That's why I said Ugh. no, no the the ex- existential drive. To gotcha, gotcha. Make music and go on tour. But yeah, it was there was nothing more important than doing that. Right. And it, it's it's really interesting to look back on how you saw yourself in that situation and what you were willing to do to make it happen versus versus i guess now because i don't know i have have, i'm married with kids you have uh, you have a family yeah left left crutch because uh my wife was pregnant with twins so it was time to go home and be a a grown-up so yeah i'm married and have three kids okay so yeah Mm -hmm. i don't have to tell you that i i can only equate it to that kind of drive to like you know be a dad or be a husband or be a family guy. Right. Because that's the only thing I have to measure against the level of insanity that I was willing to go through to, you know, drive to Tampa to play that show. Right. Uh, I guess it's the same kind of drive that, you know, we have to be a dad. Not to really, not to dive too deep too quick, but yeah, there you go. No, I mean, we can go, we can go deep. That's, that's fine. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I had, um, I had a, uh, yeah, I just lost my train of thought too. I had uh, many weekends where I would get out of work on Friday without a shower, get in my car that already had my drums packed in it, drive to Harrisburg, switch over into the trailer, drive the rest of the way, and stop at uh, Keith's mom's house, which was in like Homer City, which was kind of pushing Pittsburgh. And we would crash there for the night. Then Saturday morning, get up, drive to Ohio, play the show at like gathering grounds or something like that. Gathering grounds. Right? Remember? And then then do an about face and start heading home because I have to be at work Monday. Mm -hmm. You know? And I mean, Ohio for a show to get all the way out there and be like, you know, yeah, we sold 11 CDs tonight. (laughs) Out of my freaking mind. But that's all that mattered. That's all that mattered. I remember uh, missing a day of work and getting in trouble at work because we drove to Erie, PA, to play a show with uh, Shockwave. Oh yeah. Which I mean, at the time, I was like, oh yeah, Shockwave, the guys from Erie. You know, I think it was when More of Ages was still just starting. If not, I think it might have been their band before they were War of Ages. Um, and I just like, yeah, no, no big deal, Shockwave, and like not. Not fully grasping that Shockwave was such a flash, not a flash in the pan, but like, right. like such a short-lived thing that got really awesome really quickly. And I didn't realize how cool it was until much, many years later. <laughs> I was like, wow, that, 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 came, that, that shouldn't have happened for so many reasons, but it totally did, and it was really cool. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We could yeah, re- it's we interesting, man. Not many people... I don't get to talk to a lot of people about those days, you know, with with my day job being what it is, and you know, my wife not giving a crap. 
that, you know? I'm in the exact same boat. My wife is like, you just go off and do your little thing because I know I can trust you and you're not a bad guy and you're not going to do anything you're not supposed to. So I'll just <laughs> leave you alone and you will run around and do whatever you got to do. Except I'm 40 now and I'm still doing it. So, Well, good for you, man. That's, that's more of a drive than I have to do it. <laughs> but it's interesting because I met my wife so many years after I was out of the band. Oh, yeah. That I had to like show her. I think I showed her the one of the face down DVDs uh, that we were on um, to like prove to her that it actually happened. You know, <laughs> like I had to like show her YouTube clips like, no, see, like we did that. That was a thing. Like that was a that was a, a, a pretty big chunk of my life at the time. See, I'm not lying to you. <laughs> right, right, right. And, she, and, you know, I, and I got the, oh, that's cool. You know, on with your day. Yeah. Oh, that's, that, that's sweet. <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, <clears throat> looking up Crutch's website uh, when I was when I was thinking about auditioning for them, and it was like a you know www.angelfire.com backslash h four five tripod yeah remember all that garbage. So when I finally got the address right, I typed it in, and the pictures took like a half an hour to load. Um, they were like like eyeliner and like kind of black nine inch nails looking thing and i was like oh man i was like dude i don't and my wife was like looking over my shoulder and she's like that's not the band for you and i was like i (laughs) I know and i remember having a conversation with alex on the phone from work we were talking about bands that we had you know like similarities with and everything and and i remember telling him like look man i'm not a rules guy but i'm not wearing friggin' makeup (laughs) and he was like oh we don't really do that anymore and i was like oh oh okay he's like that was kind of just a phase i actually i'm the only guy that kind of looks like that anymore everybody else kind of went hardcore and i was like yeah oh okay good so that wound up working out okay we were a pretty interesting mixed bag (laughs) it's it's okay to have rules man (laughs) especially when it comes to putting eyeliner on i mean if that's your thing awesome but right no one should ever be forced to wear makeup no, I agree, but when it comes to rules, y- y- y'all kind of do have to get on the same page, though. I think that was one of the biggest things that ever held us back, where it, it was like, you know, your drummer's wearing a dress shirt and sandals and, and cargo <laughs> shorts, and your guitarist looks like uh, he's uh, in Marilyn Manson's band, and your your other guitarist is wearing a sweater vest, and your singer is wearing a Rod Stewart t-shirt, not making that up. So I, I, think, I think there were... I think there were people that like musically respected us and then came to see us and were like, seriously, that's that. <laughs> we, we call that, we call that a, a limp biscuit paradox. <laughs> oh no. That, no, oh, that hurts. Ouch. Really? Not, a, no musical comparison, of course, but as far as having a Fred Durst and then you have a, what's that guy's name? It's not monkey. Although he looks like one. Oh. I'm I'm spa- You know what? I'm not. I, I, I'm totally okay with not knowing this guy's name. Which but guy? The, the guy from Limbisco who dresses all crazy. Oh, West Borland. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's a West Borland thing. But your band or bands, both yeah, bands. I don't want to talk about Limbisco anymore. Yeah, but this is something I do want to talk about. <laughs> okay, it's, it's it's controversial. Not really. Ooh. But you know, elephant in the room. We were all part of the Christian music scene yes right? sir yes sir okay how how are you how do you look back on that like what's your feeling about that now that you're 40 married with three kids and you've had 15 20 years to reflect on it hmm well i don't know who the hell you think you are hijacking my podcast i'm supposed to be talking to you but 
Um, I'm just kidding. The uh, how do I feel about it? I don't. I I never took it seriously. But when I say I never took it seriously, I mean I am I am a born again Christian. I have no problem with the fact that I was then and that I still am now. But I just always felt like we weren't striper. Our lyrics weren't like you know Jesus. So we I was we were never that band that was like trying to be a Christian band. We were we were like from the beginning we were like let's do the Christians in a band thing. Because mm, we want to yeah. play with cephalic carnage <laughs> and, and cornerstone, like we, we better we better not lay down too much religious stuff up front. And I think that was kind of already kind of already in place when I joined. So I was just kind of like, right. yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm on board, this is fine. And and we never really got uh to answer you to answer your question I, I never i never really put a lot of thought into it because i never really was trying to be the christian metal band as much as i was just trying to play i was just trying to play and if anybody wanted to talk to me about it afterwards cool no problem just like now but i'm still not like, i'm n- i've never been like in in people's face about it so no no altar calls at, at the end of the sh- at the end of the set no kind no. of thing new no. hell no got it our singer <laughs> used to strap his microphone to his hand and he would wrap the uh the microphone cord around his hand three or four times because the kid was airborne like every picture you see of him is like he's like air jordan high in the air he was just like a little pogo stick and um he would stomp back and forth in between songs and he would just do the whole like this song is about this and that and everything and if anybody has any questions about uh any of our lyrics, you can come talk to us afterwards. We actually, we actually handed out lyric sheets because no one could understand a word Joel was saying because he had kind of like that uh, Dan from Zayo carcass, yeah, one of those yeah, voices. Yeah. So it, we we were never altar calling or Jesusing or anything like that. It was really more like, hey, we're just positivity, doing the whole black metal, dark, heavy stuff. But if you want to talk to us afterwards about what we're about, come talk. And once That's in a interesting. while. Yeah, we just never really, like I said, we really wanted to uh, play churches, play youth groups, play Cornerstone, play uh, Relapse Metal Fest. You know what I mean? Like we wanted to, we wanted to totally not have that be an issue, right? And and if you throw it down up front, it is an issue. You can go talk to anybody about that. If they tell you otherwise, they're lying. (laughs) You know what I mean? True. I I feel like I feel like I you know I was running around uh, in a scene that dealt with that very differently mm, okay. from from band, from band to band, um, specifically with the whole the the face down crew. And I love those guys. I I still talk to most most of those you know most of my uh, my buddies from the other bands. Okay, uh, you know some more than others, but some as recently as a week ago, and some you know never again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it what it, I I think there was part of me that wished I did it that way where you're describing it, hmm. and I, I feel like we did end up doing that at some point. But I don't I don't when it, when it came to to a lot of frenemies I don't think it was something that it, it was something that we all kind of we were all kind of figuring it out as we were going along, mm-hmm. and I think some of us had an idea of what we thought it should be. And then at certain times, strived to make it such. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes succeeded, sometimes failed. 
Um, but it was never something that it was a concrete goal from the, from the get-go that we all tried to execute through right. the end. Right. And I, you know, I can only speak from, you know, until I left the band. I mean, they, they did whatever they did after I left, but I always, I always like to talk about it because it's not something that people talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, like guys like you and me in our shoes that were in that world pretty deeply. Mm-hmm. And and now, you know, at least speaking for myself, I'm not. And to look back and reflect on it is super interesting because I think 15 years or 10 or 20, however many years, offers some really cool perspective. Definitely. Uh, especially since in those 15 years, uh, life life happened. Right. Which... <laughs> Right. Which is something that we didn't have back then, which is which makes it a a little bit of a, I don't want to say a, a hypocrisy kind of thing, but we were dealing with big life issues, having not lived much of life at all. Correct. Whereas now we've lived more life than we have then, obviously, and I guess I, to answer your question, you know, now that I'm thinking about it and I'm listening to you and and your perspective on it, to answer your question. What is my opinion about that? What other uh, project or walk of life or or situation would you ever put a 17 or 18-year-old in and expect them to be a competent role model? It's, it's, oh, absolutely. It's ridiculous yeah. to ask to ask a I almost said ask. <laughs> ridiculous to ask a bunch of 18-year-olds to like spiritually guide other 18 year olds because they don't they don't know what the hell they're talking about yet it's it's or anybody for that matter it's ludicrous to think like uh you're gonna get out there and 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 just write lyrics the best you can to make it sound like it's supposed to sound and we're gonna play the role and then that person is fallible and they're gonna make a mistake or someone's gonna see him drinking a beer on the road or someone's gonna see him smoking a cigarette or catching a bowl or something and all of a sudden it's like well I can disregard everything they've ever said and it's like no that's that's kind of that's kind of the whole opposite of what Christianity is supposed to be actually and now you're starting all these weird divisions and rivalries and problems and at, at the core of it, it's still a selfish motivation because whether you're out there thumping your chest for God or whether you're not, you're still doing what you need to do to perpetuate your band to sell the next CD, to sell the next shirt, to get to the next town. So you're, so you're still turning it into the, like this, this weird marketing thing. And that's where I always got weird with it because I, I don't like the whole Christian plumber, <laughs> Christian electrician <laughs> thing. I kind of feel like your works and your actions should prove that you're like that that you are what you are and the conversation needs to come organically as opposed to hi bill i'm trav i'm a christian right right away right away you're like oh okay can i can i can i say shit around this dude if i stub my toe or is he gonna get mad you know what i mean like i I don't want any of that garbage man well it's yeah but that it's interesting though because that's the stuff that we all dealt with like all, all the stuff that you listed off like smoking and drinking and or, or cursing or whatever uh-huh. uh you know we dealt with that and that was weird it was weird for me because i didn't i wasn't raised in that culture right um i i came into it i came into it much later in life and accepted it with open arms you know at the at the time and i'm glad i did because it you know half the things i have now wouldn't exist without it so i don't want to I don't want to bring it up now publicly and and say that it was right. a mistake because it wasn't. Um, but it it is nice to talk about it with with so much context. Yeah, I think I think we're we're um, 
I, I feel I feel like I did it right now. L- let's let's get real for a minute here. Crutch, Crutch never sold. <laughs> we were never big. I mean, we were known, but we weren't. It wasn't like I any of us could have ever did anything to like hurt record sales because we weren't. We didn't have them anyway. Is my point. But there were no, there wasn't a label. It isn't like you know. Oh, we saw a huge dip in sales because so and so dropped an f bomb during an interview. N- that didn't happen because we weren't even getting interviewed. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but. I, d- I do like that I never I never felt like I had those standards to abide by anyway because it opens you up for the future to be um, to kind of do what you want uh, the next band that I was in had nobody religious in it it was a local rock band and not that it was I mean I never did anything like motivated by you know trashy motivations with the whole like beer and chicks thing i i I wouldn't i wouldn't do that anyway because it just doesn't it doesn't doesn't do anything for me but the fact that it wasn't christian is kind of like well i don't have to worry about people saying well wait a minute you were you did this for so long and now you're doing this over here what what happened did he backslide has he fallen you know what i mean and i just get this garbage away from me i'm so sick of hearing this stuff because the band that i was in before i joined crutch was not religious it was like this super aggressive emo metal screamy crazy band and i'm still like really good friends with the guy who had who was in charge of that band and he's not a christian and i'm still friends with him and i just i never liked ah i just felt like everybody's trying to put everything in a box it just frustrated the hell out of me because, I mean, you're seriously telling me that if after a show <clears throat> you see a dude puffing on a cigarette and drinking a beer of legal age, um, all of a sudden he he doesn't have the same, you don't have the same respect for them as you did before. You you that, knew that happened. Stuff? That happened. And I know, and it's gross. And I I even experienced that personally. Um, when I saw bands do it, because that's what I was taught. That's what I was told. Right. Okay. And it was exactly that stuff. Um, and not only just with bands, but just with the church in general. Um, it was exactly that stuff that made me want less and less to do with it. Right. And it's, you know, it, it is, it is what you say it is as far as putting, putting things into boxes uh, but it, remo- it it removes the life out of out of out of you know the the Christian part of the Christian life because right when you're when you're calm you're doing nothing like all those things like drinking a beer or smoking this or saying this saying that like that's the life happening right like, that is life mm-hmm. like experiencing those things and and you know so to me it's like it just became something where uh, I was being asked to be less of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if that sounds Satanist or not, but <laughs> but that's exactly how I felt. Like, I wanted to be myself and I wanted to express myself and uh, I was being told that I couldn't because of X, Y, and Z. By who? And, and by uh, just other Christians and, right. you know, other like just other Christians. Ugh. And where in the back of my mind and in my heart, I knew that doing those things wasn't, doing what they said it was doing right so that's why it's almost like the the you know the carpet just gets you know completely stripped out from under you sorry seth but 
<laughs> yeah. But anyway, but the, the, the yeah, I, I'm I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I never felt. I don't think I ever really felt what you're saying you did. And I'm now that I now that I'm hearing you talk about it, I'm thankful because I just never felt the uh, never felt the pressure of uh, my witness so to speak, or anything. I mean, I, I didn't go out of my way to do stupid stuff either. Like, I'm not going to bring a six-pack to the show we're playing in a youth group, moron. But then there were other guys in bands that did do stuff like that, and it almost seemed like I'm go I'm going to go out of my way to make sure I push super hard against what what your perspective of us is. And I also feel that, that that's also in the wrong. It also, it also says in the Bible not to be a stumbling block. Like, don't go out of your way to be a dick. Just to well, yeah, I was just about to say that. Like, that's not that's more just being an asshole instead of being a bad Christian. There you go. You know, right? Where, but to me, I would, I, you know, it's the bad asshole part that I recognize. Like, I don't care if you're a bad Christian, but I care if you're an asshole. I really wish you know? I I don't remember who said it too. I really wish there was a verse in there that just said, "Oh yeah, don't be a dick." Like that that should be that should be a commandment. You know? Yeah, well, that's the whole treat others part. <laughs> yeah, I I that's, need to hear it more blunt for us though. <laughs> that's a nice that's a nice way of saying don't be a dick. Right. <laughs> oh, good good talk. That's good. That's that's the closest to a, a Bible study I've come in in a, in a while. That's good. Ditto, my friend. Ditto. <laughs> All right. Now what? Now where do you want to go? Now how are we going to top all that? I don't know. I feel I feel like I don't want to go back there, though. I got it out of my system, so thank you. No problem. Anytime. Dude, you can call me and, and, and talk about that stuff anytime you want. I don't really talk about that kind of stuff with very many people either. Um, I mean, well, yeah, I, I just I mean, I do it. through the podcast yeah. here and there, but it, it just it just seems like everybody is so frustrated with it. Everybody is so annoyed with it. And now, uh, if you go listen to... Um, Man, podcasts have just completely changed my perspective on everything. You can listen to everybody and the way they talk now, and it just seems like whether they still wave the flag of Christianity or whether they've completely walked away from it, at least everybody is being more real with each other. At least everybody's just being honest. Whereas before, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that right any on. day. Any before day the facades have all been dropped, and I feel like I'm not exactly sure when that all happened. But hey, let's let's just not. Let's just knock it off with the whole like phony, you know. <laughs> well, it's 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 weird because you know everyone has their own experiences, and I wouldn't call mine a negative experience at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are people who do have have had very negative experiences in that world. Oh yeah, and who who can't talk about it or don't want to talk about it. So and some some, in my opinion, I think have been shaken by it so hard that it caused them to not even believe anymore. Because they just got so sickened by what they saw that they decided it kind of had a baby in baby in the bathwater thing going on. Yeah, you know? and you don't want to, and you can't blame them for that either. No, you can't because, <laughs> like I said, I, I I don't know what it's like to multiply the frustrations that I'm complaining about. I don't know what it's like to multiply that by five hundred and then not have money to bring home to a family because of it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I like talking about it because I never want to see myself as someone talking about Scientology on a documentary because sometimes I feel like that. Like when you're sitting in a room with people who have no idea what you're talking about and you tell, like, you know, people who have never stepped into that world and you start talking about 
some of the things that you've experienced, they look at you as if you you were coming out of the Church of Scientology, and it's, mm-hmm. it's really in their mind no difference. Mm-hmm. And, and that really freaked me out because it's like, wow, how how far off are we? Mm-hmm. How how different is it? You know, wow. Maybe I just yeah. you know I just didn't tithe as much as those guys do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other. Well, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, exactly. I did. I, yeah, I have noticed though that um, there there really seems to be a uh, um like a backlash the other way sometimes, which almost seems put on. What do you mean? Um, <clears throat> there's got there, there's guys and gals out there that literally pastored in a church before uh whether it was a a, a big church or uh mega church even people in the terminology or, or or whatever were like involved in it to that level and now they're like i'm still i'm still calling myself a christian but fuck this fuck that stupid these asshole shithead blah blah and, and i kind of feel like <laughs> Well, <laughs> so, hold, hold on. Wait a minute. Like, I understand you're frustrated and everything, but man, there's there's also like a you've been you've been given a lot of grace. You still need to show you still need to show grace and humility and love for other people. And and like, I get that you're frustrated and everything, but I mean, you're you're on a podcast now. You you control the editing. You're putting that out there on purpose, you know. And I I, I just kind of feel like. That's a little. That's a little put on. It's a little. That's a little performancey for me. Is that is that weird? Did I say that right? Hey, I feel like you're talking to me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I am, Bill. No, 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 I'm not. No, I, I, I don't. I, I, I didn't. I didn't mean that. If it's honestly coming from the heart, and maybe I don't know where these people's hearts are, but I do feel that there's people that are like, I'm. I'm gonna go out of my way. To make sure that everybody knows how frustrated and pissed I am about stuff, and it's kind of oh, like, now I get it. okay. Now I feel you. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Like you know, yeah. And I'm I'm kind of just contradicting myself here, but yeah, like I'm, I I do identify pretty heavily with that that sentiment, right? But I really, I mean, I don't have a desire to to talk about that part of it, you mm-hmm. know, because that's really no one's business. But <laughs> I do like to talk about just the shared experience part of it right with other people who who went through the same stuff that i did and or at least somewhat similar just because it's it's kind of like i remember i lived in prague a couple of years ago um teaching english in between jobs and it was awesome and i don't know if for anyone who's lived abroad or even traveled abroad really when you are in a you know you go food shopping or you go run errands or anywhere really and you hear someone else speak english in, in a community that isn't English speaking like your head turns and you see who it is you go over to talk to them and then you you know where are you from what are you doing here blah, blah, blah. right it's a lot like that when I have guys like you and Seth and you know some of my old buddies you know that were in the FaceTown bands because it's kind of like you know having someone in a foreign land that speaks the same language as you right 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 and it's that instant uh that instant identifier that instant thing that that ties us together in some weird way it's kind of like kind of like we went through a war yeah, yeah not really i didn't I'm, horrible comparison but you get what you get my point 
I, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I like the, com- the comparison of being surrounded by someone that doesn't even, a bunch of people that don't even speak the same language, and then you hear familiarity, and you instantly approach it because you're like, oh, God, finally, I can yeah. talk to someone. Like, finally, I can you communicate c- without watching my every friggin' little tiny move, you know? Yeah, and you understand yeah. me mm-hmm. without me having to explain right. too much of it. Right, and you're talking just the basis of language. We're not even getting into personality and religion and stuff. This is just, I can just say hello to you and you don't look at me like, hmm? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, right, right. Right on. So that you can say, say things like backslidden and I could just like, holy crap. Right. I haven't, I haven't heard that term in a long time. Oh, I, I unfortunately, I, I, yeah, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> yeah. Shifting gears. <laughs> <laughs> Flat shift, no clutch. Circles right made all of you Faithful, 
So, Love for Enemies. I think we pretty well covered that. You were in the band for 99 to 2005. You did some playing. You did some face downing. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, face downing. real life called and, and you answered and it was time to go or, or uh, left the band before? Like, wh- no, what it, was, it was a job thing. Like, like, you, like you left because of family. I left because of just my... Uh, that's really when my career in the music business was taking me in a different direction. And I... Uh, I I actually moved from New York to L.A., or L.A., um, quote-unquote, to actually work for FaceTime Records. Mm. And I worked for them for a few years um, before, uh, after about a year or so, I moved back to the East Coast. And then through uh, another series of jobs, excuse me, uh, I I started working for uh, Superhero Artist Management, um, Ryan Downey, at, yeah, Ryan Downey. Which at the time we handled uh, Bleeding Through, Throwdown, Tiger Army, Demon Hunter, yep. uh, MXPX for a hot minute. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, and then that that chapter closed, which is when I moved to Prague because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I saw an opportunity, and I was like, I like writing, I like English, so I'm gonna go teach it. So I, I did that. And then while I was in Prague, I got I got a tip of another job. And came I came home before I even got the interview actually, and that was the job for E One. I've been there ever since. R- well, you've been at E One that long? Yeah, it's my seventh year now. Tell me a little bit about E One. What does E One do? E One's a re- well, Entertainment One is a is a a global media company that okay. really has four pillars with, between um, movie distribution, music distribution, TV. Uh, and music, as music mean, meaning the record label. Okay. I work for the record label. Okay. Uh, and I handle all the metal and, and hard rock acts uh, publicity. I, I, I head up all the press for all of those bands. What bands? Uh, everyone from Black Crown Initiate. Another PA uh, band you might know. They're from Reading, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the way up to Zach Wilde and Ace Frehley. But yeah, I, I, I've been doing that for what did I say seven years, and yeah, yeah. I've had a very busy, busy year ahead of me. Publicity for bands that are already huge fascinates me. Because what do, what do you do? Uh, I will have to disagree with you because um, some of our smaller bands. It, 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 it all matters. It all comes down to what you think huge is. Well, you um, just said Zach Wilde and Ace Freely. I mean, how much well, publicity yeah, do you are, need to do for okay. Zach Wilde? Uh, well, you'd be surprised. It, I mean, that's actually a common misconception that people have okay. with publicity. School me, because, son. Uh, and shout out to Amy Ciaretto, who also does publicity for big bands. And we talk about this all the time, where where uh, other publicists will will often say, like, oh, well, that's easy. All you have to do is answer the phone. <laughs> And you know, in some cases that's true, but um, planning out planning out a band's you know album cycle or even career uh, requires a lot of a lot of uh, you know forward thinking, pre planning, okay. strategizing, and and uh, and different moves. In, in, I know at, at different plot points along the way. It's not just sure. sitting there watching everyone come to you. Um, of course, with smaller bands, it's a lot more 
digging and grinding and and you know you have to establish their name and 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 build build up the band's profile uh rather than coming into it with the profile already existing okay um but even you know even ace freely had his humble beginnings it might have been decades before the rest of us but it was mm-hmm. still there sure uh, and he was just fortunate to be uh doing it at a time uh in american rock and roll history to where uh, it really caught fire uh, obviously you know kiss being as big as they are i've heard of them yes yeah uh, same thing with zach like you know he was pumping gas you know before he was and he was still playing music uh, and then Ozzy plucked him out of Jersey, and the, re- that, the rest is history from there. But he still started Black Label, um, you know, in the late '90s from nothing. Like it was just him and a bunch of friends. Like yeah, he was Zach right. who played with Ozzy, but he still started somewhere. And that's really the common denominator between all of them, whether it's Zach Wild or Crowbar or you know one of our uh, our younger bands, Black Fast from St. Louis. Like they're all start, they all have humble beginnings. Every mm-hmm. single one of them, and you know, taking those profiles, taking the 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 publicity for each one of those bands, it's it's a journey, each way. It's just each band is in, at a different point in their journey, and, th- and recognizing that, and recognizing where they are, and guiding them, and pushing them, and strategically putting them in places to get them further down the road, is is the goal. Whether that's Ace or Black Fast. When you achieve that, when you strategically moved a couple of the things in place and they start to hit, um, I would assume you get that a similar rush and a similar drive from what you felt in A Love for Enemies when driving to Tampa was the most important thing. Like That has to be um, psych material for like, oh man, this is happening. I'm so stoked for this, that, that this small band from St. Louis, what are they called? Black what? Black Fast. That Black Fast, uh, we made the right moves, and they, they're they on this leg of this tour now or something. That has to be like a high five. Everybody everybody gets free bagels tomorrow morning moment, right? I mean, that has to get exciting. I never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right because it's it's one of the, one of the best parts of doing what I do for a living is that um, I got into the music business because I was passionate about it, and I was you know, organized and, and, you know, I I was interested in the business part of what I was doing. Um, you know, after, after I got over the hump of just wanting to play guitar in a metal band (laughs) and and I, I, you know, which is a great aspiration. And for some people, that's all it is, which is awesome. But for me, I wanted to keep going and keep going and find out more and do more and, you know, book shows and book my own tours and, you know, and, and do it all myself, which is probably why I ended up leaving the band so yeah, they're, they're glad to see me go but um it's that drive though it's the same kind of passion because when i was booking my own tours you know i got psyched when it worked out and then you know but if if i get a band on the cover of guitar world now i still get the same level of you know, you know stokeness i guess you could say stokeness so, yeah, yeah definitely definitely similar there and i would imagine you feel the same you feel the same down from it. It's just like anything. It's a roller coaster ride. When something doesn't work out, or a band breaks up, or they just can't seem to get their, they just can't seem to dig the cleats in. Um, I would imagine that also feels like partially your failure or part of someone on your team or anything, because 
the whole reason that you signed them and brought them in is because you believed in them. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I it's I, I never I, I don't like to work. I, I, I have to get passionate. Like if I'm going to work on something, I can't do it half-ass. I have to do it all or nothing because. Well, this is the stuff I want to talk about on this podcast. I, the tagline is finding the humanity in, in, in an industry full of monsters because you work for a record label. Dude, you're the enemy. People think you're the asshole. People think that E1 is the reason why record labels are just stealing money. Yeah, but, but, you know, Bill Meese has a house, obviously, because he's breaking some band's back or anything. This is your time to tell people how passionate you are and how much you give a shit about this kind of stuff. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess, I guess, because I don't, I don't ever view, I don't ever view myself that way. And I don't ever view my team that way just because. Of course not. But you know, everybody hates record labels and they don't even know what they're talking about, right? Well, you know, <laughs> emphasizing on the last part of what you said. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the reason is because I see how passionate everybody is. Like me, me and my coworkers talk about it all the time is that, you know, a, a lot of the times why record labels get such a bad rap is because they don't care or they don't know what it's like. And that's different, at least in my case and a couple of my coworkers, is that, you know, we talked, I talked about this a couple of days ago and with, with one of our bands, uh, might have been Zach, I don't remember, but, you know, I slept on park benches. I drove to Cornerstone and built my own stage. I booked my own tours, you know, when it was just, you know, a phone and maybe an email address, you know? Right. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, I, I sat up at 1 a.m. In, in, in a van full of 10 dudes contemplating what would be more comfortable, sl- you know, s- sleeping, sitting up here or sleeping horizontal in the rest stop vestibule. <laughs> I've been there. You remember know, pulling I, over because you needed a phone? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. I remember and the thing about sleeping outside is, especially in the summertime, especially down south, you get eaten alive. You might wake up with a mosquito bite in your eyelid. Yeah, it happens. Or like fifteen across your face, and it looks like you have smallpox. Right. So. Yep. So so when a band, so when people say the record labels are the enemy and they don't know what they're talking about and they don't know what it's like, I just I, it doesn't register in my brain because it's so far from the truth. Right. Um. You know, I can't, that's of course it's not that doesn't go for everybody, and I'm sure there's a stigma with the major labels uh, having more of that going on than the indies because E1 is an indie. You know, if I if, I don't know if people know that, but it is an independent um, record label. They do now. So yeah, I just I don't know. It's always been a a very passionate process for me. So to to hear that people might not believe uh, believe me or you know, or, or I don't know. You know how it's like when, when something's so true in your own mind, and you hear that someone doesn't believe you. Like, wait, really? Like, right? Like that's it's weird for me to think of it that way. Yeah, man. And and that's and I think people got a really bad taste in their mouth. Circling back to what we talked about for the first forty minutes, the people got a really really bad taste in their mouth with the label <laughs> that made this possible for a lot of religious bands. And I think a lot of bands got super pissed at a lot of situations that they didn't understand. I think a lot of kids got pissed off because bands were pissed off. And I love the band. I don't care about the, the, the packaging. I don't care about the I don't care about the name of the label on the spine. I care about the band because I love them. So, well, this this is something that that just plagues. You know, like you said, the, the t- what's the tagline of the show? 
Uh, find, finding finding humanity, humanity in an industry full of monsters. Right. Part of that is is realizing that each one of those band situations, and I don't care what label you're on, each band situation is different. Each band is made up of very very different people, mm-hmm. and each band has their own journey that they go on. You know, some have more successes than others. Blah blah blah. But the problem is, is that when when shit goes wrong, or someone isn't happy. The easiest thing to do, and this goes for life in general, particularly politics right now, the easiest thing to do is to polarize it and make it one of two outcomes. And and that happens in the music industry a lot. You can't do that because you're 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 dumbing down uh, what usually is a much more complex problem and situation than than you're reading in in, in the the Lambgo headline. Right. You know so. Talk about taking it with a grain of salt. Like all those stories should be taken with, you know, a giant, giant grain of salt. And are are there monsters out there? Absolutely. Are are there shysters who who have you know screwed over bands in the past? Sure. Is it going to happen again? Probably. Yep. Is it happening right now? Odds are. Uh, But there's also a lot of good people out there, and there's a lot of. Uh, passionate music fans who wake up in the morning wanting none uh, not wanting none other than to make your band a better band and you know make your band gain one or two new fans that day or 2,000 new fans that day and that's what drives them so which one do you want to focus on? Don't die. Nothing is consumed. 
In conclusion. In conclusion. What, tell me about Workbench. Why did Workbench come about? <laughs> workbench came about because me and Seth have been trying to, we're trying to think of a project to work together on mm-hmm. for many, 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 many years. And none of it ever came to fruition. <laughs> and this is the only one that stuck. That's the only way to describe it. Okay. Fair enough. Like we we talked about starting companies, uh, you name it, we talked about it, and this one worked, and we enjoy it. So that's why we keep doing. It. We took a little bit of a hiatus when my my daughter was born, but uh, back now and consistent as ever. <laughs> I saw that. I remember when you you had the. He's like, we're we're uh, we're on a little bit of a break right now because they're having babies, and and then he has to sell his car. You, you your smart car was for sale. Uh, yeah, a sold it. About that. Yeah, I did. At how much of a loss? Um, well, I bought it outright when I when I bought like when I first got it. So I, I don't view it as a loss because mm. I got eight good years out of it, and it really didn't ap- depreciate that much. And and what I did end up getting for it was very helpful at the time. So fair. Win, yeah, with an eight year win-win. Nice. Oh God. You're going to make me talk about the Mets? No, I don't want to talk about the Mets. Why not? <laughs> um, afraid you're going to jinx them or what? I mean, like, they're, yeah, coming, I don't wanna... they're coming back with practically the same lineup, right? Uh, for the most part, yeah, minus Dana Murphy. Right. And he went I to Washington, saw, right? Yeah, and I actually yeah. just saw uh, Tyler Clippard went to the Diamondbacks like three seconds before we jumped on air here. So <laughs> Did he really? Mm-hmm. No kidding. Old Tyler Clippard. But hey, we got Cespedes back, and that's all that matters. Really, you're in love with that guy, huh? Yeah, yeah. Hey, man. Best he went to the, went to the World Series. We're all still high from that. Best fantasy baseball team name you've ever heard? Go. Um, I have fantasies, and I like sports, and they never mix. Oh, but you've never heard like a funny fantasy? Nah, name? man. I don't know what you're talking about. Did they, they name their teams? Are you seriously? Oh, yeah, yeah. They name their teams like hilarious, like having to do with um, having to do with somebody's last name once they draft them. Oh. And one of the ones that made me laugh the hardest was the human. How do you say his name? Cespedes. Johannes Cespedes. Cespedes. Uh, human Cespedes instead of centipede. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Really okay, made me laugh. Yeah. Have you ever played the baseball player name game? Where you no, take let's the, play. You you swap the la- the first letter of the last name with the first letter of the first name. So in the case of Dan- Daniel Murphy, Manuel be, Durfee? Uh, Man Durfee. They call him Man Durfee. Man Durfee. All right. Yeah. Let's do another one. I'm a Phillies right. guy, so um, could we go with uh, Shike Mitt? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did I do it right? Thought- okay. Tubin Rahada. Whole camels? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, he's gone now. <laughs> or, and we'll end it with this because I don't think either of us can top this. Pig Bobby. Cannot top that. That's pig, perfect. Pig Pig Bobby. You're welcome. Pig, pig Bobby. Mic drop. Don't actually drop the mic, though. 
but hey, thanks for having me on, man. This was a lot of fun. Scrolling through my notes here. Yeah, this was this was a good time. I, I really I didn't think it was going to get that deep in the beginning, but man, that's the that's the whole point of this thing. It was a good talk. Yeah, I hope hopefully it wasn't too uh, too intimate. for a first time no not bad no it's not too intimate this is good stuff last thing i want to do is have shallow stupid conversations that don't matter you know what i mean well good thanks dude got it Hi, this is Bill <laughs> Music, and this is my episode of As the Story Grows. Chapter. It's a chapter. This is my chapter. No, start chapter. over. Start over. We love you. Take care. Bye-bye.